and welcome to the first ever episode of The Week in Patriarchy, your review of the biggest news stories through a feminist lens. I'm Hannah Barham-Brown. And I am your mystery host, Afra, and we are going to be bringing you the ethical, intersectional perspectives on the stories sweeping the nation, whilst trying to decode some of the more nonsensical things our politicians and the mainstream media are pushing out. Yeah, in shocking news, we really aren't fans of this government, and we're pretty frustrated by stories affecting women, or when big stories never get viewed in terms of their impact on women. We met when working in politics, and we spent a lot of time trying to raise awareness of issues affecting women that rarely hit the headlines. So we like to think we're pretty well placed to hold some reporting to account. So Afra, let's start by answering the question on everyone's lips. Why are you a mystery woman and what is the significance of your name? (laughs) It's actually a really boring story, but I just got a day job that is a bit funny about politics um, and and the things that you say. So uh, I decided that for now, I'm going to remain a little bit anonymous. And um, actually, it was you, Hannah, that found this name, um, Afra, um, after an English playwright, poet um, and writer. And apparently also a spy. She was employed by Charles II and uh, who employed her as a spy in Antwerp. Um, and she also had a stay in prison and then she began writing for the stage Um, and I just think that that's quite um, you know that's quite a cool thing to be named after Um, I I have plans to spy um, be imprisoned (laughs) and then write some some stage plays so you know just watch this space but for now um, for now I'll be Afra and hopefully one day I'll reveal myself to the millions and millions and millions of listeners will have accrued by then. I also feel like we're going to need a special episode just looking at Afra because, my God, like, how bloody awesome. There are so many amazing kick-ass women in history that we just don't know the stories of. And she is one of them. And I couldn't think of anyone better to name you after, my darling. So, um, cracking. Now we've cleared that up. That massive mystery. Um, It's time for us to look at the week in patriarchy. And in this episode, we'll be bringing you dead cat conscription, Trump tries tokenism, and why we're frankly a little bit bored by Barbie chat. So our first story is from Sky News uh, and their title is, Is Conscription Coming Back? How it's been used in previous wars and what a UK citizen army would involve in the future. Hannah, any thoughts? So I think this story, it seems to be everywhere at the moment. Everyone's kind of talking about it on social media. Everyone's like doing little videos about, oh my goodness, if I get signed up, what's going to happen? But I think it needs a big old dead cat klaxon. (laughs) Um, And by dead cat, when we talk about dead cats in politics and the media, generally it's a story that is used as a distraction from other stuff. Now, how this kind of got out, how this has become such a big thing is up for a bit of debate and we can go into that. Um, But yeah, generally when you pull out a dead cat story, it's because there are certain people, our political parties, who don't want us discussing big, scary things and would rather we all panic about whether or not we're going to get signed up, which... Incidentally, for anyone panicking and like donning their DMs and getting ready for war, this is very unlikely to happen. Wait, did you just say then DMs, then Doc Martens? Is that what people wear in the army? Mate, I'm a wheelchair user. Do you think I know much about footwear in the army? (laughs) Um, You know what? If the mandatory footwear is DMs, I may be coming around to it. You know what? Screw this. (laughs) 
Uh, I could, I've got two, I've got two pairs of Doc Martens. And if the state is going to sponsor me and give me more, if the state's going to sponsor my Doc Martens, <laughs> I'm down. I would go to war for DMs. Yeah, my entire wow. ideology has just changed. Thanks, Hannah. Afra, that is our headline of the series. I would go to war for DMs. Wow. Um, okay. So in the shocking news that suddenly, particularly the queer community, are going to be really pro-war if this happens. Um, anywho. So there's been all this noise around conscription. And this has kind of come from an interview with General Patrick Sanders, who's the outgoing head of the British Army. And he said that if NATO went to war with Russia, which he thinks is not a far off possibility, then it would be a whole of nation undertaking, which has kind of led to all of this chat around conscription and this kind of 1939 attitude of we're all in this together, which is kind of 1939 and kind of high school musical, depending on which generation you're from. Um, and then the ex-UK Defence Secretary Michael Fallon went on to say that we had to think the unthinkable and consider conscription. But yeah, number 10 have said this is not even under consideration. They are not interested in this. It is not going to happen because let's face it, one thing that is going to put people off the Tories even more than they already are is mandatory service. And, and also just if if anyone isn't aware of what, of what conscription is and you wouldn't be the only person because conscription isn't something that we've actually had for quite a long time. So conscription legally requires certain groups to join the armed forces. It was actually introduced in 1916, about a year and a half into the First World War, when there was a law that required all single men aged 18 to 41 to join up. Uh, but actually, we haven't conscription hasn't been used in the UK for more than 60 years. So for for somebody to suggest that this kind of thing would be being brought back in is really shocking. It is, it's, I mean, it's not surprising because this is how the Tories work. We know this, but it is a really, really drastic and extreme thing to suggest quite casually. Yeah, and it's it's definitely kind of captured the national interest. I have friends who've been out canvassing over the last few days and people are actually talking about it on the doorstep when you kind of knock on the door pre-election. So it's definitely getting a bit of interest. Um, I think it's really important to also highlight that this is different to national service. So there is a difference between conscription and national service. Um, National service um, generally kind of requires people to serve in one of the armed forces for a certain period of time. It's not often used necessarily used during times of war. Um, and more recently, we've seen the phrase national service used in the context of potential volunteering schemes. So I think about a year ago, this think tank, probably a Tory think tank, um, came up with the idea of Great British National Service. Um, which was going to have like 16-year-olds completing a number, certain number of volunteering hours, but this wasn't going to be mandatory. So it's going to be voluntary volunteering, um, which is a bit baffling. And yeah, people like Penny Morden and Rory Stewart got really behind this as a concept. Um, but there are actually only three countries in Europe that conscript women in exactly the same way as men. Um, and that's Norway, Sweden and the Netherlands. So they all have compulsory military service um but actually what they've seen is that it's having a really interesting impact on what their army and their militaries actually look like um and you it's interesting because you look at countries like norway sweden and the netherlands and you don't think they're particularly warmongering nations these are not nations you look at and you're sort of like yeah they are they're always up for a fight Norway can't stop themselves. Um, and yet they have this in place. Um, but I think it's it's very unlikely we're going to see it in the UK. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
let's let's be real. This thing that has become like a massive talking point in our news at the moment is it's really, really helpful for politicians because it's such um, an easy distraction. And we have seen the like we've seen the Tories and it's not just the Tories, to be fair. It is, it is quite a um, mm-hmm. common political move. As you said earlier, Hannah, we've seen political parties kind of not necessarily do much to to address um, a rumour or or a suggestion that's kind of gone out of control and has gripped the nation because it's actually quite a handy tool for them. It, it allows us all to be distracted, to talk about these things, to debate between ourselves. Is this going to happen? What would it look like if it did? Would you go? How do I feel about this? Yeah. Particularly in the UK, which I think really does have this quite... Um, warmongering is not the right word but it is in our kind of collective psyche um you know this idea of of the allies and joining up and and going to war and in the trenches and it's very much in our collective psyche of, of we have to defend um our island and defend our nation um which as a as a person who is not english and has very foreign parents um, is ridiculous to me, but um, we, you know, we we've seen politicians do this kind of thing time and time again. And is are we going to have conscription? Probably not. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is why do we have a government that is so inadequate and incapable of doing its job that they're happier for a population to debate over a non-existent problem than actually be held accountable for all that all that and I'm gonna I'm gonna swear here I think that's allowed right Hannah is that allowed? oh god yeah swear ahead yeah uh, well is absolutely incapable of doing their fucking job basically <laughs> and so in, instead of instead of us being like hey um why why is our country so broken right now and how are you responsible for it government uh we've got we've got all of us going oh do you think what do you think it would be like in your which you know I'm 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 one of those people. I'm 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 fully distracted. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a kind of blinding play by General Sanders here. Um, also, General Sanders, Colonel Sanders. That just makes yes. me happy. Um, like, how many times must you've heard that joke? Poor guy. But it's an absolutely blinding play by him because the army. Like, whatever you think of the military, um, the British military has really struggled in recent years. So um, the number of people we have working in the military has massively reduced, primarily because of funding, but also people are not approaching it as a career anymore. Um, People who are in the military, I think three in 10 people in the UK military feel that they're paid a fair wage. There have been huge issues around housing and the places that these people are expected to live and raise families being like full of mould and filthy and bases having to be closed down because there are fridges full of silverfish and it's it's been it's really really struggled and then on top of that there are case there's case after case after case of bullying sexual harassment abuse and i think that's a really interesting perspective for us in terms of like the impact that something like conscription would have on women you know why aren't women signing up to the military anyway well it's because it is literally still a massive old boys club and if you look at it from a very kind of practical level the final exclusions against women serving in ground close combat in the military only actually lifted in July 2016 and that only actually came into play in 2018 so they only really had equality we've only had equality in what you can do in the military as a woman since 2018 and I would Which also say bonkers. like it well it is bonkers but also 
it's just it's also not equality is it because no you know what it would be crazy if like peak feminism was oh great well now women can go serve and and basically kill or die at the same rate as men in the army like we have a huge problem yeah we have a huge problem not in not in just in this country but in countries where um in countries that are heavily militarized we have a huge problem with masculinity and militarization in that when you have um a culture and also like a national ideology around the military and military service and military duty and and that kind of militarism is bound up with very very specific toxic ideology around what it means to be a man what it means to serve what it means to like fulfill your duty um in quotation marks you you end up with um a culture that is actually incredibly dangerous it's very dangerous it's dangerous to be a woman that is dangerous to be a person of color in the military it's dangerous to be a queer person in the military Mm -hmm. you all fall outside of these ideals of masculinity and on top of that that masculinity allow like it fosters a culture of um complete what's the word i'm looking for what's the word and a culture of uh not complicity a, a culture of where you could basically just think you can get away with everything oh um I, I I don't know. Impunity. That's the word. Impunity. Yay! Um, but I think I think it's a really good point. Like there was a report from the Red Arrows um, looking into sexual harassment um, within the organisation, and it said that women were viewed as property. Women who worked for the Red Arrows, you know, as equally serving officers, were viewed as property of the men within those organisations. And I've got women female friends who've served in the military and who continue to serve and like even the most basic things are not considered because the structures are so intensely patriarchal that considering things like breastfeeding menstruation access to toilets like really really basic stuff is just not happening and it's all kind of coming as an afterthought it's like oh crap we have to let women in now i mean they'll just have to muddle along yeah even even equipment uh you know bulletproof vests are not modeled for women's bodies uh, a lot of armor um or like weaponry specifically is modeled for people who have larger hands um you know not that's that's not really a hill that i would die upon personally like i think I don't think that's ironically. the real issue here. Yeah, ironically. Um, but it's so interesting that you have people. I don't know a single person um, who who's, has anything to do with our army. I, I think that's something to do with uh, the universities I went to and also medical school. Like quite a few medics oh. I know um, pay their way through university and stuff through the military. Oh, that's depressing. Um, it is. It is. But it's also it's, it's a fascinating world. So I've got a lot of yeah background with the military for various reasons. And um, yeah, it is a fascinating world. Um, but I feel like I'm about to have some boobs waved at me. Oh, yeah. There you go. I'm going to wave some boobs. <laughs> <laughs> These are not actual boobs. Um, it's Sadly. not like in a podcast. This is not OnlyFans, guys. This is a news review. Not yet. Um, if it's lucrative enough, <laughs> I'll see. <laughs> How else do you make money with yeah. a BA in the arts? Um so basically, I have ADHD, and in order to try and keep us vaguely on track, we have a timing system where if we go over about 10 minutes on a particular story, um, Afra will have a different accessory each week to wave at me to try and remind me to round the hell up. And this week, it is Af- Afra, explain what you're waving at me because oh, I don't have it, words. It's a, I got it, I was a gifted for it for my birthday. It's like a little terracotta vase with two little boobs on top. Um, so I'm just wait. I just wave that in the camera in Hannah's face. 
it's a thing of beauty yeah. and beeves often bring me to silence so um <laughs> yeah with that uh the good news is you're unlikely to be conscripted anytime soon folks so don't panic the better news is i'm definitely not going to be conscripted unless they can like build me my own little personal tank um because wheelchair user um and yeah ultimately this is a massive dead cat but it does raise some really interesting questions about why the hell nobody wants to go into the military and it's because it's fucked there we go cracking play from general sanders Now, our second story is Trump tries tokenism. This is from Reuters. Friends, allies urge Trump to choose a woman or black man as his running mate. Hannah, thoughts? I mean, I, I'm i still struggling to process the fact that it's, there's a very real possibility Trump may end up back in the White House. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I t- how? How is this happening? They're, they're trying everything to stop it. Like there are whole states saying, no, you can't even contest, mate. And yet, and yet. So, yes, interestingly, when you look back at his last um, election campaign, he had Mike Pence as his vice presidential candidate candidate um because at that point he really needed to kind of bring in the republican evangelicals and the kind of social conservatives because he was such a kind of unknown quantity and this is a guy who you know famously said grab him by the pussy who'd had multiple wives who is not like morally even for a republican evangelical trump is morally somewhat questionable um and so at that point, he really wanted to bring in somebody who those evangelicals, those social conservatives would get on side with. And Mike Pence was very much that. He was this cis, white, very conservative, very religious guy. Um, that is not going to happen again because Mike Pence basically kind of became very unpopular. Stabbed, Stabbed him in the, the back. back. Yeah. He went full Brutus on this yeah. um, around the time of the insurrection and all that kind of stuff. So Trump is now looking for a new vice president. Ultimately, does Trump care? Who his vice president is? No, because Trump is a narcissist who doesn't think he needs anyone. Um, But it's fair to say he's really enjoying the process of having lots of very prominent people suck up to him. And whereas previously he was looking at this kind of conservative evangelical Republican, um, now he's thinking, right, Roe versus Wade has fallen. I'm probably going to need a woman or potentially a person of color to try and bring in those swing states, bring in the ones where there are a lot of people going, oh, do you just hate women? Is that why you've got rid of abortion and you've got rid of the women's right to like have any say over their own health care and their bodies? Um, and having a woman makes him a bit more palatable to those voters. So, yeah, Trump is going full tokenist on this shit. Yeah. And it's incredibly depressing to watch. I think it's also what we're seeing really is this. there was this idea um, by some people who perhaps took on the brighter side of life that when Biden won, we were saying goodbye to a really toxic era of politics, that we were kind of, we were turning over a new page uh, in in politics, in American politics. But as, as we've seen, that's just really not the case because the most, I think, the most insidious and damaging thing about Trump is, is his impact. That is, it's a long lasting one. It's like throwing a rock in a pool and the ripples spread out and out and out. Yes. Trump is that massive rock, that massive orange rock in the pool with the ripples spread, <laughs> spreading out and out and out. And we've seen his impact on the Supreme Court, which of course paved the way for the fall of Roe v. Wade. We've seen his impact on um trust in our in what I say our I'm not American it trust in America's democracy and the kind of robustness of its election procedures uh, and we've also seen 
his like normalization of a really, really dangerous type of political leadership, which is lying is completely acceptable. And and this questioning, this suggestion that there are two truths, there's your truth and there's my truth, and I'm going to stick to my truth. And if you don't, if you don't agree with that, that's your problem. And it's like his legacy is so incredibly damaging. And I think it's quite naive to think that he would be in for one term and then he would just disappear and and all the poison that he created would go off with him and you know and the, the truth is biden's been pretty disappointing as as president shop mm-hmm. like, who, who's shocked by that not me not. personally he's 81 yeah he's exactly he's been he's been underwhelming he's been um not the kind of unifying uh, presence that that a lot of people hope that him and kamala would have um on american politics of course he hasn't because the the, the seeds were sown by Trump for this division, and the seeds have been sown for a long time. It's quite binary division between um, Democrats and Republicans. So now what we've got is we've got Trump using all of that, riding that wave of, I think, distrust um, in the electoral system, uh, which is actually a distrust that is felt by both sides, because of course you have a lot of people who are Democrat, who don't like the fact that the House of Representatives plays such a big role in choosing who becomes the next prime minister, sorry, the next president. Um, And you've also got Republicans, you've also got people who don't necessarily vote either way, who are feeling, who, who do really believe that the election was stolen or who aren't really sure, but who are watching this this political struggle play out and going, none of this is representing me and the issues that actually affect me day to day. So I might as well just completely opt out. So you've got that. And then you've also got Trump, who is looking at the, I guess, a lack of uh, a particularly exciting um, opponent being put forward mm-hmm. by the Democrats. And you've also got the complete collapse of an actual, any credible opposition within the Republican Party. And so it obviously makes sense that you've got his his allies are urging him to say, okay, now now's a step for you. To, now, now's the time for you to take a step towards the, pro- the progressive again in um, quotation marks, the progressive side and, and pick somebody who is going to represent the people that you are, tr- you are alienating. I think what I'm finding incredibly depressing about this is not only that it's so tokenistic but we've got to remember that Trump is Trump is the guy from the apprentice right Trump is the American Lord Sugar um but even worse and he's turning this whole thing into a game show and what we're seeing is women and people of color who want this role who know that they're likely to be up for this role because of this kind of underlying narrative of you have to pull in these voters mate they kind of proselytize they're kind of like throwing themselves at him in the most sycophantic way and he's making them dance he's literally being this puppet master going go on tell me how much you love me tell me how much you want it and it's so sick to watch so you've got like People like um, Tim Scott, who's an African-American guy who um, was originally one of the rivals to Trump, but he dropped out of the race in November and has since endorsed him. And um, at his like victory, at Trump's victory speech in New Hampshire, this guy just goes, I just love you from mm-hmm. the stage. Yeah. Like, this is somebody who is, you know, an actual career politician who's just having to sit there and go, but I love Trump, honest. Like, it's so bonkers to see and you've got these very powerful very knowledgeable people however much you may disagree with their politics sucking up to this guy who has no freaking clue what he's doing and the most upsetting thing is that this is 
more important than ever. So previously, um, there was a quote from Franklin Roosevelt's deputy, who was John Nance Garner, so quite a while ago, um, who said the vice presidency isn't worth a pitcher of warm piss. But that's not really the case anymore, because whoever becomes vice president, Democrat or Republican, we're likely to have a president who is either, if it's Biden, 81 years old or Trump is 77. So there is a not small chance that whoever is vice president will have to step up to be president, if only in a caretaker capacity for a short period of time. So this role is actually really bloody important right now, more so than it's arguably been in a very, very long time. And yet we have this basically TV show-esque narrative of who's it going to be? And at the moment, it's looking like it's going to be someone called Lee Stefanik, who Trump describes as a killer. Um, oh, that's great. And, exactly yeah. who, who I'd love being second in charge of the country. And I think, you know, the, the, other, the other really sad like, truth about this is that Trump is such a dominant personality that it actually doesn't matter who he picks, which is obviously why it's also yeah. so tokenistic in the first place. Like, it, it really does not matter. There is absolutely no way he's going to pick anyone that could be a credible threat or rival to him. He is going to mm-hmm. pick someone who he is able to dominate with his personality because at the end of the day, it's a one man show. For Trump always has been, always will be. So it's quite a depressing thing to see. It's it 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 undermines the whole point of a vice president role yeah. in the first place, which as you yourself have pointed out, Hannah, is becoming critical because our presidents are getting older and older and older. There's a really interesting quote in this article in The Observer today, um, recording on Sunday, and um it's from Wendy Schiller, who's a pet- political scientist at Brown University and she said he doesn't think he needs anybody to require to win this election so my guess is he'll require lots of prominent people to come and pay homage to him and he's like wow that that's terrifyingly true he doesn't think he needs anyone and the sad thing is he's probably right and finally uh, this is from the Los Angeles Times. Shocking Oscar snubs for Barbie's Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie just proved the movie's point. Oh, Hannah, I think you and I had quite a lot of thoughts of this one. I mean, my primary feeling, first of all, is that I just find this so boring. This is really boring yes. and unfortunately quite predictable. I mean, I think if I'd been coming to this as somebody who hadn't paid attention to any of the Oscar nominations whatsoever, I would have thought that the Barbie movie didn't get a single nomination. It actually mm-hmm. got eight, including, of course, America Ferreira, which is a, a fantastic nomination for her as Best Supporting Actress, one that she wholeheartedly deserves. Yep. But you would, the way that the outrage that this is this is spawned online, it would make you think that the Barbie movie was just completely overlooked and ignored by the Oscars. But that's not the case. It had eight nominations. Yeah, the outrage here is really that Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie haven't been nominated. Now, I mean, declaration of interest, I have a massive crush on Greta Gerwig. Um, and she did an amazing job directing a film that, let's face it, like on the surface of it, people were still like, Barbie, the film, is this going to be a crap toy story? And she did a great job. It is a very good film. And I think a lot of people are very surprised by this snub. And I think the Academy Awards voters have really shot themselves in the foot by ensuring that Ryan Gosling got a nomination for Best Actor, but Margot Robbie didn't, which given she also executive produced the film. But that's not the award. It's not the award for Best Actress who also executive produced the film and got all the money for it. Like It's Best Actress. She didn't get it. Is it a shame? Yes. Is it worthy of all of this attention in the media? 
Probably not. Definitely not. Are you kidding me? And the, and the fact that America Ferrera had to kind of address this in her response to being nominated. Like, imagine yes. how frustrating that would be to have to kind of almost apologize for the fact that your white co-star wasn't nominated yes. and you have been. I like I feel I feel for America Ferrer because actually mm-hmm. the spotlight should really be on her and the other fantastic women in that category. And it, instead it's become all about the fact that they, these two women that Greta Gowick and Margot Robbie were snubbed. And honestly, if you want to talk about snubbing, why aren't we talking about Greta Lee and Celine Song, who were snubbed mm. for past lives, who both of them deserved Best Actress and Director. We're, it's it's infuriating, actually, that you have so much rage over two women, but the discourse is almost as if the other women who are nominated, who are doing phenomenally well, who deserve to be nominated, just don't exist. And I, yes. I, I just wanted to ask, like, who do you think should be removed from that list, therefore, for Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie? Please, because if you look at that list, there's not a single other person on there, not a single other woman, not a single other director that doesn't deserve to be there. I think the director one is really interesting because obviously director is open to people of any gender. Um, and I think that that's it's really key to kind of think about who actually gives out these nominations because we know the Academy Awards nominations voters are not representative of people who watch films anywhere in the world. So 67% of voting members are of the Academy are male and 81% of them are white. So and that is reflected in the nominees across categories, which is why it's so fantastic that we're seeing people like Lily Gladstone getting nominations for Best Supporting Actress. But it, Sorry, Best Actress. But it is so frustrating when you look back and you're sort of like, right, so actually looking at female directors, we know that every one female director who's been nominated for Best Director over the years, there have been 59 men nominated every one female so when you're looking at best director i think you do have to kind of have a look and go "Mm, yeah yeah there's there's a lot of men on that list and there always have been um so greta gerwig i do feel a bit of frustration for um but yes margot robbie i'm not that devastated Um, by um i'm gonna be honest i'm not really a film person i haven't seen any of many of these um i did see barbie primarily because i wanted to go to the cinema in a pink suit it was all right it was cracking but you know I'm, I'm not dreaming of it and I haven't got the Ken song stuck in my head. Um, so I think one of the reasons that so many of us are really frustrated by this story being everywhere is this is the one story about gender that's really been in the news in the last mm-hmm. week. I think I know where you're going. And yet the world is on fucking fire and particularly so for women right now. Yeah. Like you look at the situation in Gaza and we have women having C-sections without anesthetic and we have women using torn up tent strips as menstrual pads. Like it is absolutely horrific. And yet we're upset that a couple of white American women who have made quite a few million dollars in the last week are not getting a nice big shiny statue. That's what we're focusing on. And even if you look closer to home, we've got this childcare stuff that's been brought out by the government that is not working, that is going to fall apart, meaning more and more women can't get into the workplace if they want to. Everything is going to shit. And we're sitting here talking about a gold statue that has never really been given out to a representative crowd of people who actually deserve it. It is doing my actual nut in. So, yes, I'm just going to take a very deep breath. Um, I'm not sure whether you're sensing my frustration. 
but it's there. No, you seem pretty calm about it, actually. <laughs> I think, um, I think you know, something that is I've seen circulating quite recently um, when it comes to Gaza and and the genocide that's being perpetuated there is there's been a lot of anger um, because of the ICJ's um, wording around um, genocide and, and the fact that they didn't outrightly call for a ceasefire. And mm-hmm. I can I completely understand and agree with people's frustration. And I think you know the the kind of softness of some of the language around that is is horrendous and like inexcusable. But I think what has slightly been lost there in the kind of nuances of international politics, of which I'm definitely not an expert in, just a little disclaimer there, is that um, a ceasefire is something that you call for uh, when there is kind of a war. Uh, mm-hmm. like an active armed conflict going on. What is actually happening in Gaza is genocide. So you, you can't, you wouldn't call for a ceasefire when there is a genocide. You would call yeah. to an immediate stop and end to, to that genocide. That's, so that's just like a really small pedantic point that I know a lot of people are really angry and frustrated by it, and, and rightly so, because it does feel like the kind there is a sense of this lack of urgency, lack mm-hmm. of outrage that has come along with this um statement from the ICJ and the rulings from the ICJ. Yeah, and I think the other thing we need to bear in mind about the ICJ is that part of the reason this is not getting reported is because the media thinks that people are bored of it and that there's very little people can do. That's not the case. There are loads of organisations working really hard to support Palestinians that you can find and support and please we urge you to do so. Um, But I think the ICJ is the kind of latest angle on this and yet... We know that any ruling that comes as a result of this week's decision is going to be years away. Like it does is not an organization that moves quickly. So we're not going to get an official verdict on, you know, is this genocide or not for a very, very long time. Is that going to make a massive difference to people on the ground right now? Almost certainly not. Um, and I think we can see that from the response that the Israeli government have kind of like put out to it of me. Um, and I, from a kind of like home-based perspective, I think it's really important to just highlight how completely disinterested our foreign secretary has been. Every time he's been asked about the ICJ, David Cameron has just kind of gone, nah. Um, And like, let's remember, David Cameron has not got the greatest track record (laughs) on like basically anything. Um, High austerity, high Libya, high all of the other crap he perpetuated. Um, So... I think from a home level, there's a lot of understandable frustration that should be more aimed at our government in terms of what they are and aren't doing. Um, But also, I think there's a bit of frustration when we're looking at the ICJ situation in that this feels like it should be a big step forward. But in actuality, it's very unlikely to be so. Yeah. And there's, I want to just touch on something um, which some people call social death which is something that I actually did an entire dissertation on about many, many moons ago. Um, But the idea is that um, there are sort of six, I think it's either six or seven definitions of genocide um, in the kind of Geneva Convention. And one of those um, is related to the social fabric of Mm -hmm. a people. Um, And uh, something that that's really come up against is when it comes to Rwanda, the kind of um, the trauma and the and the impact that the Rwandan genocide had, and how it equated to a social death. Uh, so in Palestine, uh, there is like the same thing is being perpetuated, and it's yeah. um, it's the idea is that a social a social death is when the kind of 
the psyche, the psychological psyche, but also the culture and the people of an entire community is being eradicated and erased, not necessarily through murder, although that, of course, is happening at the same time, but through, for example, the complete destruction of the infrastructure that those people rely on to survive, whether that's through kind of, uh, you know, re restricting food so that um, people aren't able to meet their like basic necessary like calorie intake or whether the like destroying hospitals so that their health and their safety is completely destroyed. So that in like, and for women and girls, it's in particular yeah. that includes kind of menstrual uh, access to menstrual hygiene or menstrual products um, or, or, oh, my God, pr pregnancy and, and, pre and maternal um, health care as well. So, and it's also through kind of um, destroying universities, destroying like religious sites, like mosques, places of kind of communal um, assembly, communal gathering. So what's happening um, in, in Palestine is not just um, um, uh, an attack on people, um, like a murdering of people. Actually, there's, a, there's an attack on the very social fabric of what it means to be Palestinian and what it means to, to live and grow up in Gaza. And that is... Like the most horrifying thing to witness, and it's it puts you in this state of like complete frustration, but also a feeling of helplessness because what what can we do? And and I think one of the most important things to do is like first of all not not turn away from from the reality of what's going on, but yeah. also to remember that that war affects, or rather genocide, as as I pointed out earlier, genocide affects different people in really, really different and specific ways. And and of course, a lot of the people that are being affected right now are women and children. We've, as you mentioned, we've had reports of, of people, of women uh, or people who menstruate having to cut up tents in order to use them for menstrual products, which is of course like, it, it, it creates all other, it creates so many problems, but it, as, as a doctor, Hannah, I think you could probably safely say that's probably not, it's not really a safe thing to feel body. Yeah, it's awful. It's yeah. absolutely awful. Um, base, lack of basic hygiene resources. Like, this is th there's so many things wrong with this, and you could do an entire episode just on the health implications and the awful many things that are going to be problematic coming out of this. Um, but yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to look at and think about. But I think at the same time, there are an awful lot of people who want us to stop talking about it. And there are an awful lot of people who would like us to the news narrative to move on. And that's why it's really important that we don't allow that to happen and why we keep talking about it and keep sharing resources and keep sharing the groups of Gazans out there who are trying to share this information. Absolutely. But also that we maybe, even if we talk about it and we fuck up, we fuck up and we take accountability for that, learn yeah. and move on. I think there is this um, fear perhaps of saying the wrong thing or or because because it's complicated, Um the idea that there is the idea that therefore you can't speak on it because a situation is complicated or because it's a situation that requires quite a lot of, I think, engagement with the issue at mm -hmm. hand. It's not a, something that you can read a couple of headlines about and therefore think, oh, I think I've got a pretty good grasp of what's going on. No, this the situation is incredibly complex, but just because it is doesn't mean therefore that we just wouldn't speak about it. Um, and especially not in the context of uh, the feminist ideology that you and I both subscribe to, which is also the idea that like countries don't just invade other countries uh, and, and <laughs> militarization is the root cause of so many issues, but also the fact that being both Brits, Britain had a role in creating the state of Israel. Yeah. Britain's colonialism and imperialism is directly responsible for what is happening 
right now. And as British people, we have an additional responsibility of acknowledging that and and like really paying attention to what our government and our country continues to do in perpetuating that colonialism and that imperialism. Whether that's bombing Houthis in Yemen because they want to protect their precious shipping lanes or whether it's kind of refusing to condemn Israel for what it has done so far and using very, very gentle, very, very uh, flimsy language around it and being one of the few, in fact, being one of only two countries alongside America to refuse to condemn Israel over and over again is really shameful. And as British people, uh, you and I, uh, we have, I think, a responsibility to push our government much, much harder uh, because we are also unfortunately complicit in what is happening right Mm now. 100%. So in the spirit of what we've been saying, um, it is kind of important that we keep coming back to this story and we keep coming back and raising the issues and things that are happening in Gaza. So this is not going to be the last you hear of us talking about it. Um, But on that note, that is everything we've got time for today. So thank you so, so much for listening to our launch episode of The Week in Patriarchy. You can find a link to the transcript of this episode in the show notes and also on our Substack page. Now, we are aiming to release episodes every couple of weeks as we get started. And if you like it, we might just become a weekly thing. So please make sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you source your podcasts. Um, We're on Instagram and it's at The Week in Patriarchy Pod. And we're also on Substack. You can just search The Week in Patriarchy Podcast. um, And that way you will be the first to know when a new episode drops. Yeah. Also, something that would be really helpful for us is ratings because it helps other people find us. So you can give us some very lovely ratings, five stars only, please, or tell your friends to follow us. Um, And if you really, really love us, please share our socials um, on your own social media so that we can really kind of kickstart that fight back against the patriarchal bullshittery that surrounds us on a daily, daily basis. So with that, there are some huge thanks going to our incredibly patient and technically marvellous producer, Alex Covey. And thank you for joining us for the week in Patriarchy. We will be back very soon.